0: All right, this is Pastor Matt, and I'm giving you a little bit of an update as we jump into this week. Uh, it's Friday. It's about 12:50, and I'm hoping I don't get interrupted. I'm actually in my basement with my diet due, and uh, my books here in front of me, sitting at my desk. And I don't, I didn't tell anybody I was down here, so I might get interrupted. Uh, hopefully not. I'd like to make it through this it should be pretty short. Um but what I'd like to do is I'm gonna try this. I'm just try this podcasting thing and and uh my Edgewood peeps are my my guinea pigs uh to do something like this. Uh what I'd like to do is I'd like to try to give a little update as I'm preparing my sermon. So uh some of my initial thoughts, you might call this, just my initial thoughts of uh what's going on as I prepare and as I'm reading, as I'm studying, etc. Um like to start by just saying that one of the things that's been pressing on my mind lately is just our, and by our I mean our churches, uh, and all of us as Christians really, but our need of a dependence on the Holy Spirit. Um, even if I was an eloquent speaker and I could do just about anything with words and uh, just, just craft them in the perfect way, um, what we really need is a dependence on the spirit. And I've been thinking about this a lot lately. And so the last three or four days, uh, I've been starting my day by just after, after I read my Bible and read the passages I have for the day, just been praying, God, pour your spirit on me, All right? Pour your spirit out on me. Cause I, I don't want to do this without that. So, um, as I've been preparing, that's a thought that's been going through my head today as I've been thinking about these passages. Um, so to get you prepared, I've got a couple things I want to read here. One, I want to read um, the passage of Scripture, and this is going to be uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 to 18. And this covers the passage I had uh, from two weeks ago, and also what's coming up. It says this, and this is Paul writing, uh, starting in verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, So now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. We talked about that passage about three weeks ago, I think. After that, we got into verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Uh, That's verses 14 and 15. And I remember when I introduced that uh, two weeks ago that I started off by just saying, do you have people in your life that you're concerned with or concerned about, I guess I should say, concerned about, concerned for their soul? Um, This isn't about thinking that you're better than anybody. This is about simply realizing that if this word is true, if the Bible is true, then there are people who will stand before God and he will say, depart from me, I don't know you. Um, Jesus describes this departing from him and the place that they go is to a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's horrible, horrible stuff. And um, we believe that if you're going to escape that wrath of God, it's purely, purely not on how you live, but purely on your faith in Jesus Christ, how he lived. And so I know that many of us have people that we're concerned with, whether they're good people or bad people, that's irrelevant. We're all ultimately sinners. And I think that uh, many of us at Edgewood, we said, yeah, we got some people we're concerned with or concerned for. Um, How do I reach them? It seems impossible sometimes, and so this particular passage, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. We talked about this, how you you can shine as a light in the world. I want to read a little clip here from uh, Francis Chan's book, and I think there's two authors here that I can actually look. Um, Tony Merida, I guess, and Francis Chan. Uh, But this is Christ-centered exposition, talking about Philippians chapter 2. And uh, I'm going to read this. Uh, Chan writes, he says, Once again, we must go to the gospel for joy. The gospel tells us that we are far better off than we deserve. Considering what we deserve and what we've been given should keep us from complaining. When we lose sight of the gospel, we will go down the dark hole of murmuring. He says this, and I had this underlined, Keep your focus on Philippians 2, 6-11, and Philippians 3, 7-11, and you won't disobey Philippians two fourteen. And if you have a chance, you should look up those two passages. The point that he's making is that thinking about Christ and all that he's done, that's how you avoid complaining. That's how you avoid the disputing. Not by just simply saying, I don't want to complain anymore, but by realizing how good we actually have it. He goes on, he says, the Israelites complained when they lost sight of God's um, redemption. And we will complain if we lose sight of the greater exodus found in the death and resurrection of Jesus. John Piper reported a vivid illustration of the need to meditate on what we have in Christ and what we have coming in the future in order to put trials in their proper perspective. Newton likened the complaining to the folly of the following scenario, and I actually quoted this in the message uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, John Newton writes Suppose a man was going to New York to take possession of a large estate, and his carriage should break down a mile before he got to the city, which obliged him to walk the rest of the way. What a fool we should think him if we saw him wringing his hands and blubbering out all the remaining mile My carriage is broken, my carriage is broken. We must remember that we uh, only have a mile to go. Soon we will see Christ. Soon we will be with Christ. We don't deserve such an inheritance. So if we have to walk a mile, we can do it with a song. I think that's one of the important aspects of all of this. Um, And he goes on uh, later. I don't remember exactly which spot it is in the book. Uh, It's just actually just coming to my memory right now. But um, if we try to describe the greatness of Christ and the goodness of the gospel to people, but we spend all of our time complaining, it's going to be confusing. It'll be confusing to people. They won't understand that. How does this, how? How? Well, um, I almost lost my train of thought. But uh, the point that I'm making, the point that I'm attempting to make here is simply that if you've got people in your life that you're concerned about their souls and you're trying to reach them, uh, one of the best ways to shine as a light in this world is to avoid this grumbling and complaining. And the best way to avoid grumbling and complaining is by remembering, I guess you'd say, realizing the goodness of what we have. People will be so more ready to believe you if you're demonstrating that. Well, the passage continues on and uh, as it continues on, uh, it talks about, as I read a little bit ago, um, after that part about shining as lights in the world, it says, hold fast to the word of life and that holding fast to the word of life uh, could actually have two different meanings. It could mean hold fast, like hold it close to you, or it could mean hold fast, like hold it out um, in front of you. And so different versions will read that differently. And e- honestly, either one of those understandings makes sense. Um, it has a slight uh, implication on how you read the passage, but uh, both of those make sense. You hold it fast, you're holding on to it, you're clinging to it, but at the same time you're holding it out so others can see it. That's kind of the idea. Hold it fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud, Paul says I may be proud, or other versions say I may boast that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. That's interesting. I want to read another little bit here from uh, D.A. Carson in his book, uh, Philippians. He says, the argument is subtle, but it is very important. Paul writes, but even if I am being poured out like a drink offering, that's that next verse, even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. In this metaphor, the actions of the Philippians constitute the primary sacrifice Okay, so there's a sacrifice being made by the Philippians. They give themselves to Christ and commit themselves to pleasing him, whatever the cost. Then, if Paul has to give up his life, his sacrifice is merely a kind of libation poured out on top of their sacrifice. Um, This is referring to how there would be drink offerings. So you had a main sacrifice, a meat sacrifice usually, a burnt offering uh Even in the Greek culture, this happened uh, to different uh, Greek gods. But then a, a drink offering might be just poured out on top of that. That's what he means by a libation. It's just kind of poured out on top of that. So let me read that last sentence again. He says, then if, if Paul has to give up his life, his sacrifice is merely a kind of libation poured out on top of their sacrifice. Such a libation is meaningless unless it is poured out on a more substantial sacrifice but their Christian living is that sacrifice. Paul's martyrdom, should it occur, or the pains, sufferings, and persecutions he faces as an apostle are the complimentary drink offering poured out over theirs. Paul says, in effect, if I suffer or even lose my life in a sacrifice poured out on top of your principled self-denial, I am delighted. What I do not want is to die a martyr's death without any corresponding fruit in your life. As it is, whatever small sacrifice I am called upon to make is but a complementary capstone to the sacrifice that all Christians are called to make. In this, I will rejoice. And then in verse 18, he says, So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. I have to say that um, as I close this thought, this is a thought that has been ringing through my mind as I've studied today. And I think being a pastor is hard. Um, Eight years ago, before I was a pastor, I thought, hey, I bet being a pastor is hard, but I had no idea. Being a pastor is hard. It's um, tiring, especially as a bivocational pastor. I can only imagine being just a pastor of a big church would be uh, maybe even more so. But I know for my own experience, being a bivocational pastor, which means I work a full-time job aside from this, It's hard. It's been hard on me. It's been hard on my family. Um, But I get what Paul's saying. If I see in you, people of Edgewood, your sacrifice, your love for each other, your giving of yourselves to Christ, when I see that in you, I know. I know that any sacrifice I've made is just a, the capstone. It's just the drink offering poured out on top. The sacrifice that you make to live the Christian life is what it's all about for me. And when you live for him, I'm telling you, that that's what brings me joy. When I see you, all of you, living for Christ, talking about Jesus, denying uh temptations that come into your life and, and choosing to live for Him, reading your Bibles, witnessing, sharing those times of witnessing, praying, when I see those things, that's what brings me the greatest joy. It's just a reality. And any sacrifice I made suddenly just becomes something small to add on top. Well, I'm going to be praying that God will help me to expand on this thought and um, give me the wisdom to know how to present it to you. Uh, And I ask you to pray that God's Spirit would fill me the rest of this time that I have to study today and tomorrow as I prepare to share God's Word with you that what we get on Sunday won't just be me, but will truly be Him, His Word, His truth, His Spirit presented on Sunday. I'll be praying later.